Okay, welcome back to today's episode, where for the very first time, I've invited a guest speaker onto my show. Now, Mark Cobbs is a communications expert who over the past 35 years has traveled the globe teaching and educating people on everything from public speaking through to networking events, writing CVs, basically any form of writing or spoken communication, body language, you name it, Mark has coached it. And as I say, he's been doing this over 35 years. Some of the clients that he's worked for are T-Mobile, Siemens, British American Tobacco, Vox Television, who are based in Germany, Qatar Petroleum. I mean, the list just goes on. You know, Mark is, without the shadow of a doubt, a professional. And that's one thing that I would like to draw everyone's attention to as they listen to this episode, professionalism. And what I'd also like to add is that this episode may not be for everyone. We're going to be going in depth into some various influence and persuasion techniques. So this is the kind of podcast where you want to get rid of all distractions, sit down and pay attention because the wisdom that we discuss in this episode will be life changing for many people listening. Okay, so we're live. So the first thing I'd like to say is welcome, Mark. Hello, Gary. Long, <laughs> long time no see. Yeah, I know. You've been in Dubai a long time. Yeah, what is it now? Five and a half years? Yeah. A drop in the ocean to some people. Mm. Well, you know, I suppose it can be at your age, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad the audience can't see me. Well, exactly. But no, for anyone, uh, obviously not many people are aware of how I actually met Mark to start off with. So... For anyone who's had my coaching over the years, uh, Mark's actually had a direct hand in that. So Mark coached me in professional presentation skills as well as a multitude of other um, bits of wisdom that he gave me when he was last in the UK. And we're actually both from Brighton and Mark's back for the next two or three weeks during Ramadan because he currently lives in Dubai. And he's more than uh, happy to come and um, help out on the podcast just to give some of his wisdom. So really pleased to have you on board, Mark. That's oh, very kind of you, and uh, I'm delighted to be here, Gary, and it's nice to see you doing so well. So the, I guess the first place to start um, is with the word professionalism, because it's one thing that you really instilled in me uh, when you coached me, and I'd just like to get your views on what professionalism is to you. Well, it's a major part of my life, really. I mean, ever since I was a kid, uh, the word professional in whatever I do um, has to be professional. I think the first thing you've got to do is define what does professional mean. A lot of people don't understand that term. It's an abstract term. Uh, it's int intangible. Um, professional, the reality of that word means somebody whose main occupation or main activity in life uh, is a particular field for which they are paid for. Now, the key words of that is main activity and be paid for it. So there are, you know, uh, many fantastic painters out there, okay, but they do it as a hobby. Uh, it, they have another job, they paint their paintings, they're wonderful, but they don't sell their paintings. They are not professional painters. So I guess actually this isn't where I thought it was going to go, but we might as well go, go down this straight away. Mm. Um, obviously, when you know, I took the step to move from being an amateur coach many years ago to becoming mm. a professional and getting paid for what I do. So I took that giant leap of faith and actually when I think back to it it was horrendously difficult to actually do that and even when you've got good people around you and good coaches it's still ultimately your decision and it's a very difficult thing to do um, especially if you're not sure you know you think that you could be great at it but it's still that big leap of faith what kind of um, wisdom or knowledge could you give people that are listening to this that are 
you know, they're doing jobs that they don't like, which in my experience is a lot of people. They're spending at least eight or nine hours, five days a week doing something that they don't enjoy. And they're very creative people, a lot of them. Um, some of the people on my courses before, I've got them to quit very well-paid jobs to follow what they love doing to self-express. And, you know, typically I do that by spending time with people and instilling confidence in them to take that step. Um, I just wondered whether you had any experience of that or what you could like share with people listening. No, okay. I mean, you know, you you encompass a lot of things there. So I think you have to strip it back to the definition. Okay, a, the, a professional is somebody who's paid for what he does um, as his main activity. Now, you are a professional speaker, professional coach. You are paid for that and you've done it for a number of years now. Um, but then we move on to, okay, how do I, I am professional in name because I've just defined it, but am I professional in my attitude and my actions? Um, and if, if I can use an analogy, uh, we all take a driving test at 18, right? Um, and we get a driving license, it's a qualification. We can drive a car. Would we say we are professional at driving? Of course not. It takes experience. It takes years. You've got to learn from other people. Um, to become a professional driver, even though you have a license. Um, a professional driver would be people who race for money, you know, as their main job. Um, so you're an amateur driver, I'm afraid, even with your driving license, it takes years. And another point you mentioned about, for you, you um, very humbly said that, you know, it was very difficult for me to uh, transform myself into a professional, a paid professional. Um, you, you took a leap of faith. And that's the difference, Gary, between a professional and an amateur. Um, an amateur will take leaps of faith, okay, continuously. A professional doesn't take any leaps or jumps, he builds bridges. So what a professional does is you build bridges from one point to another throughout your career. And you, you know, uh, increase your professionalism along the way. Um, and by doing something on a regular basis, building bridges from step to step to step, not trying to take a jump to step eight, um, you naturally gain the skills that are required to reach each level. So when you come to level eight, level nine, it's like playing a video game, isn't it? You get to level eight, level nine, you're pretty competent. You're pretty professional at this. Yeah, you are. And I guess actually that's a very valid point. I mean, in my mind, I took this giant leap of faith, but actually the point leading up to becoming a professional you know, I had a lot of experience anyway, although I was doing another profession at the time, I still was giving a hell of a lot of time in trying to understand this area and putting time into learning and developing it. So you're right, it wasn't just I woke up one day and decided I want to be a coach and took a leap of faith. But there was still that point in my life where I still had to make that decision to quit what I was doing. And for me at that time in my life, it was, it was extremely difficult and the only way that I got the strength to actually do that um, was I just, I closed my eyes and did a meditation and I just thought, what am I meant to be doing with my life? And it was abundantly clear that I should be coaching people. And I guess that's your sixth sense or intuition or whatever you want to call it. But in my experience, when we listen to that, it tends to work out better than when we go with the logical mind. But, you know, for anyone listening who is thinking about a career change, I, for me personally, I think close your eyes, think about whether that's something, or think about what you're supposed to be doing with your life. And if it's abundantly clear, then that's really a sign for that leap of faith. But Mark, you, you've worked in various different countries over, over the years, right? So maybe it was just at that period of my life, I had a lack of confidence in myself, or 
you know, I, I was maybe, um, yeah, I would say definitely lack of confidence at that period. So what is it about you, you think, that allows you to, in your mind, take smaller steps, but for other people, they'd probably probably be a lot bigger, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, okay, it, you know, you've got to trace it right back to the type of character you are anyway, where you came from, your culture, your parents, uh, what type of upbringing you had, your education. There's so many variables into what makes one person take a leap of faith and one person doesn't. Um, you know, the key word that is buzzed around is insecurity, isn't it? Coming out of your comfort zone. I can't do that because it's not it's something I don't know. Well, human beings aren't like that. We're explorers. And uh, the trouble is that we, you know, 150, 200 years ago, um, we were exploring the planet and, and we still are, but we don't explore ourselves as much um, anymore. And, and, and so to back, back down to your point, you know, there's a phrase that comes to my mind when you're talking is, you know, necessity breeds invention. Mm. So you needed to reinvent yourself uh, out of necessity. Now, I'm not saying adversity, mm. but very often necessity comes from a failure or something negative. Mm. Suddenly, life or something needs, becomes necessary. Mm. And that's when invention is created, because we have to fill that gap, that hole, which you obviously found in your life. Mm. So you probably went into yourself and said, okay, um, whatever's going on in my life, I need to do something that I thoroughly enjoy. And one thing you thoroughly enjoy is interacting with people. So there was your foundation. Mm. Right now, you could have taken that to many different areas, yeah, yeah. but you actually enjoyed interacting with people and you found that people interacted with you. Now, that's a natural character of you because of your background. Mm. Um, so you were able to, if you like, take that leap of faith because it was necessary for you to do it. Mm. It was necessary. Other people wish, hope, mm. want but it isn't necessarily a necessity. Mm. Does, do you understand what I'm saying? Because it's very hard to reinvent yourself. Yeah, it Because is. that's what people will do. You can't come from being a bank manager mm. to running a restaurant. I mean, uh, you, you know, it's yeah. a completely different type of management. So do you find that, obviously, when you're um, coaching people, that the older someone is, the more difficult it is to take them through that change period? Uh, period? No, I mean, I, I would, you know, conversely, I would say that it's the opposite. The older you are, you're, you're less inhibitions, uh, mm. less care about what other people think of you. Mm. Um, you've got more natural wisdom. I'm not mm. saying every older person is wise, but the, there's experience there, even of the most negative experience. It's still experience. Therefore, they can rationalise decisions a bit easier than a younger person. And, and rightly so. Mm. Why should a young person put in or herself through a difficulty when it's not necessary. Mm. Unless you have that push or that background where somebody, you love painting, you love singing, so you have the money or the support to follow that career, mm. most people don't have that opportunity. Mm. Most people have fallen into their careers yeah. because they needed a job. Yeah. Most people don't even follow their bachelor or master's degree yeah. no, in don't. their careers, most people. Um, I mean, that's a bit of a generic, generic well, term not. there, but I, I can't give, I don't have any facts here, but very often you will see somebody mastered or had a bachelor in something completely different to what he or she is doing for, for a profession. Mm. No, it's true. I mean, I, you know, my degree is absolutely nothing to do with what I do for a living. And especially a lot of my friends, they typically change careers around 27 because working the day to day of that job is very different to what's perceived and it's actually this is actually quite an interesting point um, that i was going to bring up later on in the episode but 
you know, a lot of people in my experience, and these are people that I've coached, um, they give me global perspective on what their life's like. Yeah, it's great. I've got a really good job and I'm doing this. And they have these global terms like executive team manager or, you know, head or whatever this division. But when you actually question them on the day to day um, living or, or, or the stresses that they're under, that's when you really get a sense of whether you're actually enjoying your life because your life isn't a global thing. It's not like, oh, yeah, I've got a great job. You know, I'm working doing this. That's not the point. The point is, are you doing something every day that you love? And what I find interesting about Mark um, and something I definitely ascribe to in my life as well is that I will only do stuff in my life that I'm passionate about and that I care about. And what's interesting is that a lot of people don't believe that they can earn money or they can have a profession doing something they care about. And again, Mark, you, you mentioned this a little bit a time ago that you know I like communicating and, and people like communicating with me. And it's funny because over the last decade of refining my, my, my coaching strategies and the different ways of, of, of going about things, really, it's for me, as you alluded to, it's a natural talent. And I'm just refining that further. But everyone listening to this has a different natural talent. And what's interesting is that that natural talent is what people want to learn how to do. So anyone, um, for example, on my course at the moment, there's a couple of my clients who I'm getting to self-express more. One of them has launched a podcast about becoming a vegan footballer. Another one's a dancer who's now putting his content on YouTube. And what they don't recognize is that actually that's their greatest attribute and it's something that they're passionate about and they care about. And the only difference between me living a life that I'm you know, getting paid to do what I want for a living is because I took the first steps. And actually helping them to take the first steps in their life is a very simple thing to do, very easy to record a podcast, very easy to record a YouTube channel, but the ramifications are huge. And for anyone listening to this, the first step that you can make to really change that area of your life is just put one piece of content online. And I can't tell you how you're gonna feel by the time you finished it, but I can tell you that you're going to feel different and the world will be a different place. And self-expression for me is hugely important and Again, in my experience of coaching people, is just as vitally as important to them. Um, I don't know what your views are on self-expression, Mark, because I've never really discussed this with you. I mean, obviously, you self-express with your whole communication skills is what you do. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends how deep your layers are, doesn't it? Because self-expression uh, comes from the core of you, who you really are. Now, uh, the modern life is that we put layers over ourselves. So, you know, when we're at work, we are different people to when we're at home. When we're out having dinner, we're a different person to who we are. We, we put different cloaks, uh, different layers around us. So actually, you can say, well, when do we have the opportunity to self-express today? I mean, when are we absolutely ourselves? You know, is it when you're with your parents? Is it when you're with your children? Is it first thing in the morning in bed with your wife or your husband? So when can we self-express? Because we can't self-express at work. No. because you're, you're worried about being viewed or perceived as something else and you can't be careful what you say. Do we self-express when we're out? No, because we're always trying to impress our peers. We have uh, that to contend with today. Um, do we self-express with our husbands and wives? No, not necessarily, because we don't want them to see how we really feel. So I think the pressure on people actually is the fact that we don't have the opportunity to self-express. But there's a point I'd like to just add uh, back to what you said. Uh, Gary said something about putting content online, whatever it is you want to do, whatever you love, uh, put it online. What he means by that in my world is that you're putting your idea, uh, your creation, your thoughts in writing, right? Audience, 
When you put something down and you write something down, suddenly the idea, the thought, the creation, the invention of you becomes real because those words that you've written about your love or you is real. Now, it doesn't matter if it's only you who see it, but if it's out there online, you know, seven billion people can see it if they want. It's out there. Um, it's the old story, isn't it, years ago. If you've got a problem, um, then write out your worries and your woes on a piece of paper. It'll make you feel better. You don't need to talk to anybody. You can only, only write them out. So uh, back to what you said, Gary, I think that's very important because then you create a, a very small start of belief in yourself if you see something written down about what you love and your idea. And it doesn't matter what people think, it's what you think. And you seeing the physical reality of your mind yeah. and your heart and your soul in the written word out there. Mm. And that is the key is to what uh, 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 Gary's alluding to. What, what you, I mean, there's so many bits of wisdom in what you just said, but just picking a few pieces apart, there's a great analogy that Japanese people give, which is about the three faces. And they believe that we all have three faces. The first face is the face that we show the world, our friends. The second face is the face where we show our close family. And the third face is the face we only show to ourselves. And when we're talking about self-expression, we're talking about the face we only show to ourselves. We're talking about vulnerability. And it's interesting, you know, even how my podcast came about, because, you know, I, when I was younger, or even as I was getting older, I craved attention from people. I had to be around people all the time. I hated being by myself. And through setting up social attraction and, and traveling by myself and working in various cities, I ended up spending a lot of time by myself, which is quite amusing because most people would perceive that my role is to be social all the time, and it's not. I reckon I spend 75% of my time by myself. But I tell you what was interesting. When I started spending time by myself, that time had to fill itself. And this is where we revert back to the Japanese face of being by yourself, the third face, which is the self-expression face. I decided to launch my podcast because I had space and I had time in my life to do that. And it was kind of a byproduct, as I say, from doing the career choice that I had. The same way it's a byproduct that I have time to read every day, the same way it's a byproduct to have time to go to the gym every day. But when I look at my day-to-day -day, um, living, I certainly get to self-express every day. I get to learn every day. And all of these things, I think, are fundamental to just stopping yourself stagnating in life and just keep developing. Is there, Mark, anything that you just individually do or advice or wisdom you can give people that want to start developing their lives, that perhaps don't have much money, that just want a few easy steps that they can do every day to start building towards a better future for themselves? Well, uh, I mean, that's a big question. And, you know, to put my, you know, my fingers exactly on what is the secret, um, you know, I, I think it would be wrong of me to try and even suggest what is the secret. The secret is different for many people. Uh, each of us, we're individuals. We have individual characters. As much as we have individual fingerprints, we're the same in our hearts and our souls and the way we speak and think. Um, but vision. If you, imagination, I think one of the, if you're asking me what can people do in very small steps to, to start the step to creating a new life or a reinvention uh, to add colour or something to their lives, then you have to vision it, don't you? You have to imagine it and you have to imagine it every day. And when you wake up on a Monday and you start imagining your future and what you'd like to do, great, you've done that. On Tuesday, that imagination, actually consciously start imagining, which is almost a, a conflict in terms, 
um, that imagination will start to refine itself and start to hone. By the end of week one, after five days, your imagination is so vivid, so clear, suddenly a what comes is a plan, a concept. Okay, so you've got stages, you've got imagination on a daily basis, then suddenly becomes a concept. That concept is thought about, you vision it, envision it, um, that starts to become honed. Then you start putting it down in writing online. You actually start putting it into a physical reality. You look at that for five days. You start changing the words. You start refining that. And eventually, if you go through these types of steps or processes, and these are individual, but I think everybody's understanding where I'm coming from here, um, suddenly you have a strategy which you can or cannot and may or may not put into action. But let's bring it back down to the beginning you've got to be able to imagine a better life for yourself. You've got to have that vision and that imagination and that vision has to uh, be actioned, uh, empowered every day and you will find your, your imagination will start to refine itself into something real. Not, not fairy tale, not Disneyland, not unimaginable. Reality comes in with refinement. Your first imagination is living on an island with palm trees um, with a million bucks in the bank. All right, great. The next day, okay, how do I get to the island? How do I get to the money? It starts refining itself. Mark, I cannot tell you the impact that my imagination had on my life. And what you're saying is just so true for me personally. When I first um, launched my podcast, I did an episode on Willy Wonka and his chocolate factory. And the reason why I covered that archetype is because he really is the epitome of imagination. So his chocolate factory was what he imagined and it became real for him. And there's such a wonderful lesson. Now, when I first used to goal set, I used to get a pen and paper down and I used to write out what I thought I needed to do with my life. I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do that. And I found that most literature on goal setting to just be nonsense because it would just put pressure on me. I felt myself giving into social constraints and what I thought I ought to be doing. And it just put pressure and unnecessary stress on me. When I realized that you could just do it a better way, as Mark was alluding to, just ask yourself, can I imagine a better life? I mean, that's a very generic way, generic question, but anyone listening to this, if you're depressed or you're down or you're upset, just ask yourself a question. Can I imagine myself feeling better? And what happens when you answer that is that you set the wheels in motion for that to start happening. And that is real life wisdom. And it's not hocus pocus. It's not, you know, imagine this. It's nothing to do like I imagine it and it will become true. The point is, if you can imagine it, you are beginning to take the first steps. And as Mark rightly said, within a week or so, you are pretty well guaranteed to start writing out a plan of action. But it's not a plan of action on what you ought to do. It comes from your imagination. And there's a great um, story about this, about Walt Disney, when it uh, when Disney World opened. Um, he actually passed away before it opened and they asked his, his nephew or his cousin, they said, do you think Walt would be disappointed he wasn't here for the opening? And they replied saying, well, of course not. Why do you think you're standing here? Because he imagined everything that's already here. He didn't need to be here for the opening. And that story's always remained with me because I think it's such a great analogy on what you can do with your imagination and how you can set wheels in motion to change your life. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a wonderful story. I haven't heard that before, but it's so true, isn't it? I mean, he didn't need to be there. He actually had the better thing than you did because mm. he had it perfect in his imagination. Now, in reality, he became perfect and he didn't need to be there. And, um, you know, that's happened on a couple of occasions in my life where I started a new phase or a reinvention, if you like, of myself. Um, always with a core foundation uh, of me 
the way I was and am, um, and imagined a couple of scenarios and they actually came true. But the gap between when I imagined it and the reality was, was a number of years mm. with um, you know, no real guarantee that I was able ever to achieve these little imaginations of mine. Um, so, you know, that story is uh, a great story. I can vouch for it as a as living testimony uh, that, you know, a bit of imagination on a Monday morning, you'll be amazed what that imagination is on the Friday. And if we're talking about developing your life, changing your life, you know, dealing with things to make your life a more positive, uh, rich life, and it doesn't, I'm not talking about money, um, then it starts with your vision and your vision starts with imagination. And they are very small steps and everything we've talked about does not happen overnight. And uh, this, going back to our original discussion, is the difference between a professional and an amateur. Um, a professional uh, never stops learning. Uh, an amateur thinks he knows more than he does. And he doesn't. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> because they realize, they, they think they, they, they've learned everything there is to know, well they don't and they haven't. And, uh, but it's all small steps. Mm. Um, and I think this is the key. Unfortunately, in this fast world that we live in, uh, social media, um, communication, um, television, you know, all the things without going on, how quick is everything mm. today? You know, going from Australia to England, you know, what is it, 16, 17, 18 hours, whatever it is, it's quick, mm. okay, compared. Yeah. So when you say, well, I want to reinvent my life, I want to change my life, oh, when do you want to do that? Yeah, Wednesday would be good. Well, <laughs> it's Monday morning and you want to change your life by Wednesday. Um, it's just not going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's common sense, but it just doesn't happen like that. And, you know, there are steps to be taken. There's investment to be made, both time and money. There's other people to, to, to discuss uh, your options with. And, you know, it takes time. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different things that you just mentioned there that, that, uh, that we can draw upon. I think... What I'd like to do just now is just to relate that back to um, obviously meeting and interacting with women. And it's a question actually that I used to ask people on my courses, which I've recently changed. Um, so what I teach them, what I educate people on in my training courses is that, first of all, there's no negativity allowed on my courses. So no one's gonna be saying, oh, it went badly because that just takes you down a negativity hole and you end up becoming more um, irrational and upset so on my courses I only allow people to speak in, in positive language and what I used to do when people would go up to a girl and have an interaction I'd ask them two things what did you do right and what would you add next time and I changed that recently to you know what did you accomplish because actually accomplish is a better term because it makes people feel proud and the second question changed to how could you imagine yourself doing better next time and when I change the wording slightly, Mark's a master of the word, but just changing that language slightly, how could you imagine yourself doing it better next time? People always have the answer themselves. And actually, as a coach, Mark will probably agree with this myself, uh, agree with this, that when you're educating people and coaching people, it's not about telling them what to do. It's about allowing them to come to their own realization. So for anyone listening to this that wants to start just getting better results with women, the first step that you can take is something called proximity. And it's very simple, okay? I'm not even gonna tell you to go and talk to women because you know there's a, an initial step which is easier. Getting proximity just means getting physically close enough to someone to start a conversation, okay? So say you're listening to this after this episode, if this is your one takeaway, it will be life-changing if you implement it. Go and get proximity with a girl today. Go and get close enough to her to talk to her. And by proximity, maybe a meter, meter and a half away from her, okay? 
Stay there for 10, 15 seconds. Bus stops are good, bookstores, cafes, anywhere where it's natural and normal where you might encounter that situation, okay? After you've done that and you go away, ask, answer, ask the, answer this question. How can I imagine myself interacting with that girl next time? And what will happen is you're beginning to train yourself to improve every single time. When you adopt this mindset, after you've done five, 10, 15, or 20, the difference is incredible. And actually on my training courses, this is most of how I spend my time, asking the right type of question at the right time with people. So I guess um, one of the things that I was alluding to there is about the word intent. And it's funny because a lot of us in our life, I don't feel like we have intent. So we tend to get drawn into doing things. We tend to get influenced, but our intent is never really specific. I don't know whether you've um, thought about the word intent before, specifically the way that I'm alluding to, Mark, but I didn't know what your thoughts on, on that specific word are. Well, using the context that you're using, I mean, you're, you're delving into the, uh, the murky world of influence and persuasion. Um, in fact, actually, it's not even about influence. Intent is the difference between uh, persuasion and manipulation which is another story. Um, but, you know, do we do things with intent um, these days? I think uh, we have to be influenced to do them. So we have to be persuaded to do things with intent. I mean, the problem is that we don't want to take uh, responsibility for our actions sometimes. We don't want to be accountable uh, for our actions. So, you know, if you feel you're going to be rejected in any form of life, um, you won't even have the intent to try it because you don't want to be rejected and you don't want to be responsible. You don't want to put your hands up and say, yeah, I was awful. I said the wrong thing or I was, I was a bad person there. We don't do that anymore. Um, I'm not saying you should, but uh, the word intent is in there. But certainly um, intent is a definition of differences between, as I say, the murky world of influence and persuasion. So how, how do you encourage people to be able to do that? To face rejection because in mine i mean we have a specific course plan where people want to learn how to overcome a fear of approaching women so when they've booked onto a course they're actually ready to overcome that issue in their life and yeah. it's my role as the coach to help to help them to do that yeah so i guess with you your part of your role then is to find out what the intent of the person is before you start working with them yeah, I mean, you've got to go right, you've got to strip it back. I mean, it's a process. You can't, you know, turn up to somebody and say, right, major, you know, it's, it's impossible, Gary, for you to wave a magic wand on somebody and say you will never be rejected for the rest of your life. That's impossible. Uh, it's, it's impossible. Yeah. We all, I don't care who you are. Um, it, that's impossible. So let's get that out of the way. But it all comes from coaching. I mean, you're talking about training, giving people technique um, uh, to uh, enable the process of approaching something, someone, okay, um, without the fear of rejection because the techniques are so good they will never be rejected if mm. they do it in the right way yeah, okay. so that's the whole coaching or training or learning process mm. um, so you're asking me a question how do I do it that's how they do it they have yeah. to learn 101 because people you know what we're talking about is not taught at university uh, mm. you don't get a master's degree in this um, it's way beyond in fact actually mm. um, it's higher level education um, very much so adult learning um, in real life. So most people, uh, however they're educated, uh, age, um, what we're talking about is something that they've never really thought about before. Mm. So they need people like yourself, me, and there are many other people who know these things. And you give them the tools, 
um, the techniques, rejection isn't even the issue. Mm. It's not even the issue because no. the techniques are there. Mm. Um, when you know somebody, a primitive man, learned to use the bow and arrow, his father taught him all the techniques he needed to shoot that bow, right? So when that guy went out to hunt, he knew he would bring home some meat for the family. He didn't go out thinking, oh, I might miss, I might be, you know, the deer will reject me or the bear will, you know, the animal. He was absolutely convinced that he would be coming back with that evening supper. Why? Because his father, grandfather had taught him all the techniques necessary not to worry about failing. Mm. Completely agree. Do you understand what I I'm saying? I completely agree with you. So you're, you're not only as a coach are you giving people techniques, but you're also instilling the confidence that they work, and yes. that's credibility. Yes. in my mind, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, I guess this is why professional coaches charge for what they do because they that's how they gain their credibility as well. If you, if, if you're if someone's going to give you something for free. You don't really value it. So in my experience... Well, it's not professional, is it? Yeah, but in my experience... So that's number one. Yeah, but it's funny. When people are paying money for coaching, they listen to you. Whereas when you do something too cheap or you don't charge people enough, they don't value it high enough. So that's an interesting point, isn't it? The value... Mm. But then we're on to the value that you place on yourself. In fact, let's go down this because why not? Um, Because... As a coach, one of the most difficult things to do in any area is to fight, is to work out how much you charge for what you're doing, okay? Because it's always difficult because the impact you make on people's lives is always more, as you say, than you can charge them, okay? But I found that it's the same when you're meeting women. And Mark and I were discussing this the other day that, you know, how do you know what value to place on yourself in a work context or in a relationship context with women? Because it's something I see time and again where I coach very successful men whose self-worth or view on themselves is limited. And they don't they put value on themselves at work, but they're like, right, I'm charging a quarter of a million pounds to work at this firm for the year, and I want the healthcare and I want these other things. But when it comes to meeting women, they don't place the same value on themselves. And I, I often think it's because as guys, we don't really have a blueprint as to what women find attractive. We actually typically judge women the same way we do. So men historically or biologically are drawn towards signs of youth and beauty. Um, And we judge women do the same, but it's actually not true. Uh, Women are drawn to a wide variety of things, including intelligence, you know, yes, physical conditions, one of them, creativity, self-expression. So I often find again that implementing or teaching people a blueprint is allowing them to actually understand the context of where they are. And how do you find um, this with teaching people communication skills? Because it's a little bit different with what I do because I'm, I'm teaching stuff to people that they've never really heard of or they don't really know before. But with a communications expert, you're teaching people that can already communicate to a certain level. I wonder what challenges you face actually trying to do that, trying to, not even trying to convince people, but influence people that there's a better way of going about it. Yeah, I mean, again, we come down to that word influence again. But, you know, I don't teach anybody anything because, you know, um, I'm coaching people. And, and again, we, can t- we, we, we need to define the difference between teacher, trainer, coach, mentor, counsellor, you know, all of these types of words. So they've all got different meanings. Um, yeah, I, I do. I meet people who are mature, professional people. They know how to talk. They know how to write. Um, and they have a natural flair for it, but what? But they can only work and do within their own sphere of knowledge and expertise. 
So my sphere of knowledge is just that little bit more than theirs. My uh, um, sphere of expertise and experience encompasses much more than they do because that's my living. So um, they know that I have more experience uh, and knowledge in writing or speaking something than they do. Um, obviously, you have to establish your credibility, but you show them the methods, you show them the techniques, um, you share your wisdom, and you share your wisdom because you know you've used it yourself, and it works, okay? Um, you know, I'm not instructing them to do anything, and the key thing about being a, a, a great coach, or um, yeah, I would say the word coach now, is that people feel that they haven't been taught, people feel as though they've discovered this knowledge themselves. They suddenly realize, I understand all this, and they actually say, I knew that all along. Uh, ironically, it was the coach who facilitated that, but the great coach will accept that facilitation. Mm. At the end of the day, the coach was the instrumental part of it all. Mm. But that is the difference between a teacher and a coach, for instance. You know when you come out of a teacher's because you think, oh, I've learned something today. Mm. Somebody taught me something. Well, that's the teacher. Yeah, okay. Good job. Good difference. When you come home uh, to your wife and say, guess what, darling? I've discovered something about myself. You know that's the coach. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's funny. It reminds me of a really funny story of a training course that I was doing once. So there was this, uh, it often happens in my courses where someone goes up to a girl, has a really good interaction and doesn't ask for their phone number. And it's because they don't want to ruin that interaction by potentially getting rejected. So I always send them back. I always say, okay, you know, go back and ask for a number. Anyway, I was doing this course once and this guy did exactly that and he came back and he wouldn't go back over and talk to her. So after like five or six minutes of talking around to it, I mean, he was petrified about going back and being rejected. He finally went back over there and uh, spoke to her. When he came back, I said to him, so how did you get And He goes, well, you know, obviously I got her number. And it was so funny because it wasn't, it was like his own realization that he could do it. And he completely deleted the fact that I'd coached him on how to do it. I didn't tell him how to do it. I didn't teach him how to do it. I coached him. And it was funny when he came back. And as you say, as the coach, you just, you laugh to yourself. And you guess it's like, there is no realization that you've just helped this person and they think it comes from themselves. But yeah, it's a nice feeling as well, though, but I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, you touched on something which I'm really pleased you did because I feel like this needs discussing, especially in 2018. We need to look at this as men. We need to be aware of the difference between persuasion and manipulation. And this is probably the part of the podcast that you should pay attention to the most because um, there's a big difference. Um, I'm going to let Mark speak about his opinions, but before that, I'll just explain that when when people um, schedule a consultation with me to come to one of my training courses, uh, I interview them as to whether I want to take them on. And during that interview process, I establish whether they want to manipulate women or whether they want to persuade because they're very, very different. And when I get the sense someone wants to manipulate women, I won't take them on as a client. And I just like Mark to talk about this because it's something I know that he also feels strongly about as well because um, it's an area that's often gets confused. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I mentioned the word murky, the murky area. Uh, listen, it's, it's a very in-depth field, but it's interesting and uh, I can definitely see where you're coming from, Gary. And I think uh, we need to establish a few lines here. Um, 
If I can describe the word influence, okay, influence, influential. If I can describe it as a sea, okay, it's a sea or an ocean. That's what influence is. Persuasion is an island in that sea. The other island that's in the sea with it is called manipulation. And the third one that is in the sea of influence is coercion, okay? Now, all these four words uh, are very heavily misunderstood, uh, especially in interaction with people. Uh, you know, I know you're talking about approaching women, Gary, but we're talking about selling, okay? Just a simple idea of selling a product to somebody else. Um, so influence is the sea, it's the ocean. If influence was a book, then the chapters would be persuasion, um, manipulation and coercion. Now, influence is about changing one's behavior or actions because of your own actions or behavior um, over a period of time. Um, influence is establishing credibility and trust over a period of time. Once you've established influence on somebody, okay, you have influence on somebody, only then can you persuade them, okay? And persuasion is making, communicating in a way that they are allowed to make their own decision, okay? They, you have changed their viewpoint or you have um, made them think about something or agreeing to something that they wouldn't have thought of normally. But they have made that decision. And it, this is the other thing about persuasion is that it's of mutual benefit. It is a win-win for both parties. That is persuading people. You can only persuade for after influencing them. Okay, people will not buy or do anything you say if you haven't established trust or credibility. They just won't. And if they do, then I, one of those two parties is manipulating. Because manipulation is getting somebody to do something that has no benefit for them and it's all about you. It's a, it's a win-lose situation and it's a very short-term thing for your benefit only. So it's about intent again. If your intentions are pure and mutually beneficial, that's persuasion. If it's all about you getting the quick sale and that product is no good for that lady or man, that's manipulation. And manipulation involves distortion of the truth. Uh, manipulation um, includes omittance of certain key facts. Persuasion includes the truth good or bad. Persuasion includes um, full facts and figures about something. All right, that's persuasion. And then the person who makes the decision, he feels or she feels she has made it herself, not because of being persuaded. Let me just finish and carry on about coercion. Coercion is implied threat. Okay, that is where either moral or mental threat is involved. And coercion um, is actually against the law. All right, there's a law about coercion. But that is where you can't get what you want and you resort to some type of threat, moral or mental. Obviously, physical threat is another thing, but we're talking about communication, right? Coercion is a moral or mental threat, um, at which often 
results in some type of blackmail. Okay, blackmail to coercion is a very short hop. But the word coercion is a correct word. Um, and unfortunately, it swims in the sea of influence. There's my definition, so you can pick out of that what you want. <laughs> I was just about to say, I'm going to have to listen back to this a few times to pick that up. I love mm. the analogy. Uh, some real wisdom there, because I'd imagine, you know, as an educator, that you've seen people manipulate situations before. Um, it's funny on my training courses where I see, you know, clients that come to me and I, I do like role plays and get them to start talking about things. And the first thing they do is lie. I say, is that story true? No. Well, as of now, you only tell the truth. And what's interesting for anyone listening to this, there's something about everyone. There's no one I've ever worked with that doesn't have facets that are attractive about them. And the first thing that you can establish is what is it about you that's attractive? Once you know what that is, you can use language um, to basically self-express what's great about you. And the reason why um, I wanted to bring this up specifically is because Mark talks about a win-win as being um, persuasion, was it? Yeah, persuasion. persuasion. It's being a win-win. So I guess it must be a difficult situation to be in, and I've felt like I've been here before, where what happens where you like a specific girl that's not that I'm into rating people because I don't believe in it, but for the for the parameters of this discussion, say that you view yourself as a man at a five out of 10, and you view a girl that you like as an eight out of 10. Now, when you're coming from this frame, which a lot of people do, there is no win-win in that situation. There can't be, because you don't have enough value to bring to that girl if that is what your perception of yourself is. So one of the things that I do um, on my courses is to showcase or explain to people how they can create a lifestyle that is an eight. Because at that point, it's a win-win. They have value to offer women, but I don't think many guys have ever thought about what their value is to women. And what's your experience, Mark, of, of not just relating it to women? I mean, obviously you can give your personal experiences here, but just in life where people don't put high enough value on themselves and when they don't do that there's no win-win and i think the point i'm alluding to here is if you don't value yourself highly enough like you're likely to start going down the manipulation route because if a girl's an, an eight and you're a five and that's how you view yourself the only way you're going to get her is by manipulating the truth and i guess you mentioned this earlier saying that there's no quick fix and there's not you can give people parameters as a coach, which can enable them to get better results quickly. But the self-development, the lifestyle, that can't be faked. And I guess when it does, that's when you go into manipulation territory. And I, and I guess this is just me thinking out loud here, but one of my core values in the business is, is exactly that. I don't want to teach people how to manipulate. And actually what you've just said is probably gonna fit quite heavily into what I already do. Um, I didn't know what your, your views on just my, what my thoughts are on that because I think it's a very interesting area. Well, I mean, relating it to what you're saying about uh, approaching a woman, about a guy who doesn't have value on himself, okay. Uh, when he doesn't have value and he uh, approaches somebody, um, yeah, um, he he's going to have to resort to manipulation because he doesn't have uh, the tools to persuade. And the biggest tool to persuade is having influence over the person he's talking to. He has an established influence. And uh, if you remember what I said, 
you know, persuasion only sink, uh, sits, lies, swims in the sea of influence. You got to have influence. So, first of all, the guy's got to try and inf influence the person. Now, that's behaviour mannerism. Um, the way he sits, that could be body language. There's something about him uh, that influences her. Persuasion um, is about self-esteem. You know, you've got to have a, a belief in yourself um, to be able to persuade somebody. And, you know, remember, the art of persuasion is making the other person make the decision. So I'm just going to talk about a few things that I've done in my life that have enabled me to have a higher self-esteem. And I'd be interested just to get your thoughts, Mark, on <clears throat> whether this is true for you or other areas. So the things that have made me the person I am and able to, you know, coach or have the lifestyle that I have is because... I faced many difficult challenges since I took my initial leap of faith. So I have a strong sense of self-worth that actually what I'm doing is the right thing. I've had to stand up against difficult periods in my life to get here. So that's certainly one thing. Uh, another thing is I read every day, which is not necessarily that enjoyable, but I find that it enables me to be mentally sharp all the time. So when I'm reading and when I'm learning, when I have a conversation with someone, I am ready. Any point, any interaction, bang, I'm there. And my conversational bank of knowledge is huge because when I've taken my training courses, rather than going out and getting drunk every night, which is um, what a lot of people do when they're not actually at work, I've spent my time going to art galleries, historical places, and really learning and developing my life more and more as time goes on. Um, spending more time in the gym, learning about meditation, just all of these different things, like you were saying, the difference between an amateur and a pro, I guess is that a pro never stops learning. And I guess this is what I'm alluding to here. I value myself um, as high as any woman. I, I don't believe that a girl has more value in my eyes anymore. That That's just not something I believe in anymore. And the only reason for that is because in my own eyes, I have self-belief. But is there anything that you've done in your life, Mark, that you think's helped you along the way? or? A piece of wisdom that you can tell people about that you think can help them out I know everyone's different um, but obviously I was just speaking from my own experiences there in, in what way Gary just expand on that uh, a piece of wisdom to achieve so, to achieve what so say for example um, as a salesman only rates himself as a five out of ten you've taught him all the strategies and his specific self-worth so he knows how to do everything but when you're not standing next to him he doesn't have the belief in himself and for me, that has come by only getting myself out of my comfort zone and consistently working on myself, not stagnating. That's the only way I found to actually consistently raise that and keep my own levels high. I didn't know if there was you had your own experiences of this or if it's similar or. Well, using your analogy, I mean, you know, picturing it as you have. At the end of the day, if if, if the guy's been taught technique on how to sell, and he's only five or ten, he's not producing the figures, so he's going to be he's going to find it hard to keep on to his job. So, you know, there's a necessity there. But the trouble is uh, with all this, Gary, is about self-awareness. Some people, you know, are a five out of 10, but they actually think they're 10 out of 10, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> now, you, you, you know, you've got people um, who also uh, believe that they're five out of 10 and they, they genuinely are 10 out of 10. So the, the wisdom is self-awareness. You know, you, you get to an age in your life and a point in your life where you have to be honest with yourself and you don't have to share that with anybody. It's between you and the mirror, right? Every morning in the bathroom, you just look at yourself and go, right, you know, what are my problems? What are my issues? And I, I, how am I gonna do this? Um, 
you know, how am I going to change? I realise I'm not a good salesman. For some reason, there's a problem. Well, this is where you seek help. Now, help doesn't necessarily come in paid form. You have members of the family. You know, speak to your partner. Speak to uh, 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 somebody objective about this and just discuss it. Sometimes conversation and discussion with a friend, uh, you know, helps put you in the, uh, set you in the right direction. So it doesn't, my wisdom isn't, you know, reaching for the stars on this. I suppose that the, the word is self-awareness. At the end of the day, you got to be intelligent about yourself. You don't have to be clever and educated to be intelligent about yourself. You've got to be aware of yourself. Now, unless, unless you suffer from a disease, a mental illness, you're a sociopath, uh, you know, all of these words, which means that your chemical imbalances, you do not know who you are, I then I'm sorry, and I, this is not a, I'm not directing this conversation to you. I'm talking about the rest of us who actually have got all our faculties and we know what's right and wrong. You've got to put what's right and wrong with yourself. We're all very quick to judge. We're all very quick to point fingers. That's right, that's wrong. Well, you know, it's, it's time you pointed fingers at yourself. You don't need anybody else to do it. You should, you know, unfortunately, we need people sometimes to tell us where we're going wrong. But in reality, there's a point in your life where you shouldn't have that. But this again, and without sounding like a promoter, this is where people like you, Gary, come in and people like me, um, where our mission in life is to help people and guide people to these areas. Now, you put it in a particular area that you put it in, social attraction, and I put it in my area, the right word company. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, it's about helping them in their lives. Mark, you, this is really leading on to something I was going to discuss as well about having core values in your life. Now, I'll give you um, just an example of something that happens. So when I'm, when I'm coaching people, my aim, I, I don't care about what I'm doing or who I'm talking to. My aim while I'm hired is to make sure that that person gets the learning lesson that they want. So my intent is on helping that person. Uh, and a few years ago, I had um, some, some people that were working for me and the story came out where that wasn't the case. And they basically, you know, went off and, and left one of my clients when they were paying for professional coaching. Well, first of all, that made me reevaluate how I run my business. But a second thing it got me thinking about, because I think in every adversity, there's a learning lesson. And for me, it was about having the correct core values, because as an influencer, as a persuader, as an educator, unless you've got the correct core values in place, or certainly correct, because everyone's a different, so perhaps I shouldn't use the term correct, but unless you've got core values that are there to help other people, then I think you're going to end up going down a manipulation route. So let me give you a cast iron example of that. When I go on a night out, my aim is to have fun, okay, and also to aid other people having fun. So if I'm out with a group of people, male or female, if I see someone standing by themselves, I am going to go and talk to them. I'm going to bring them in and I'm going to make them feel part of a group. Something that's important to me because when I was younger, I felt like I got left out a lot. So I'm very aware of that. So my value in that setting is seeing when people are feeling left out or not part of the group and bringing them in into that world. Now, if you contrast that with a lot of guys view on a night out, I'm going out to pull or I'm going out to, you know, to, to snog a girl or, or to do this. When you have that intent and that core value, you're really going to go down the manipulation route. And it's something that I educate people on all the time. Having the right values in place is going to stop you 
from going down that dark path. And trust me, if you haven't thought about this, if you haven't thought about your core values, when you've had a drink or two, you are not likely, but it is possible that you're going to go into that manipulation territory where you're talking to a girl and you're just bending the truth slightly because your goal is to try and, you know, sleep with a girl or get her back. And I think, as you said, Mark, that's murky waters. And I, I felt or I believe that if you take time to think about who you are and what your values are as a person, it stops any of that from happening. And obviously when you're teaching, sorry, not teaching, when you're coaching people, do you have the same things in mind? I mean, have you thought about this yourself, about um, what's important to you, or is it just that obvious to you at this stage in your life and career? Well, everything that we're talking about is absolutely vital in the commercial world. I mean, the whole world is run on influence, persuasion, um, you know, coercion. Um, you know, it, the whole world. I mean, you know, look at Twitter. I mean, you know, there's a term these days, there's people out there called influencers because they have more tweets than anybody else or, I don't know, Instagram. I mean, I'm not of that generation. Um, but, you know, it is absolutely vital um, at the top levels of business that, that these words, influence, persuasion, um, coercion, manipulation are understood. And, you know, relating and, and all the way down to what you're talking about, just interaction with a member of the opposite sex. Um, you know, you're absolutely right, Gary. Um, if you have in mind that I want to snog, I want, you know, I'm just going out to get drunk, uh, then that's what you will get, okay? But you would have to manipulate other people to do that because to persuade somebody to give you a snog is of mutual benefit. Mutual benefit, not just what you want. And that's manipulation. And you will have to go down that route of manipulation, okay? I'm trying to give you an example. When you're with your husband or your wife or your mum or your dad, you want to go on holiday. Uh, your wife wants to go to a beach, you want to go to a mountain, right? So suddenly there's an argument. Your job is to persuade her to go to the mountain. Now, you persuade her, say, look, let's go to the mountain. There's a lake there. You can do all the things... Right, and they even have a beach. It's in the mountain, but I've gone somewhere where there's a lake. So you're sort of compromising, you know, and you will persuade her. She'd go, that sounds nice, and the temperature's lovely, X, Y, Z. In the end, she decides to go to the mountain with you. She's made that decision. You have persuaded her because you will give her a wonderful time as well as yourself. It's of mutual benefit. The, the intent is pure. Now, if you wanted to persuade her and said, look, um, I want you to come to the mountain, um, okay? Uh, but if you don't come to the mountain, then we can only go away for a week. We can't do two weeks, okay? That's manipulation, okay? You're manipulating it. You know, you are decrying her of a holiday because you want to go to a mountain. And if you say to her um, something like, well, look, I want, you're coming to the mountain. Uh, if you don't, I'm cancelling the whole holiday. That's a mental threat. That's coercion. You're forcing her to go to the mountain against her will because you've made a threat that there would be no holiday. And there's the difference. Mm. So when you talk about somebody going out like you said, I just want to have a snog, that's all about you. There's no mutual benefit to anybody else. Mm. If you want to get them, you will, and you will have to go through that manipulating route. Mm. 
right? And people will see through you, yeah. clever people. But if you want it of mutual benefit mm. to be happiness for the woman as well, then you have to use your persuasion skills. So am I right in saying then that for anyone listening to this, the easiest way of remembering how to persuade is think win-win. Correct. So if you're trying to Correct. trying to um, help someone to come to a mutually beneficial decision, you look at the win-win. And if you can't see a win-win, then you're probably just about to manipulate someone because there's not one there. Or you create more influence by saying, look, I can't help you in this instance. Um, maybe we'll meet each other again or I can help you in the future. That's establishing influence. Mm. Suddenly, you empower them with influence and the next time you want to persuade them, okay, they will react to you in a more positive way because you've influenced them, because you've stepped away from the engagement. You, do, do you understand what I'm saying here? 100%. It's a very, very key thing. 100%. Here. So relating, giving the cast iron example of this with meeting women, you know, if, if you're arranging a date for seven o'clock, and at 10 to 7, a girl texts you saying, I'm running half an hour late. The correct response to that is, you know, no, let's just do some other time. Because what you're doing is you're putting a value on yourself and you're setting it up so that you can become an influencer and a persuader the next time around. Whereas if you just accept her frame and you follow her lead, I wanted to talk to Mark about leadership. So this is probably a good like headway into leadership. Um, what you're doing is you're setting a correct frame at the start, which is part of being a leader. Um, so I think that was a, a little um, insight into just a technique that you could use there. But yeah, moving on to um, leadership, because obviously, Mark, you have uh, had various different businesses over the years. So you are um, a leader in the workplace, but you're also a leader in your own life. And I wanted to know whether you what, what differences you think there are. So um, obviously you probably haven't had this question before, but what do you think the differences are between being a leader of your own life and being a leader at work? Because for me, a lot of people are leaders at work, but they don't take those lessons on and they don't lead in their own life. Well, that's a, a difficult question to answer. I mean, and I think your, your point is correct. Uh, you have your CEOs who lead flagship companies from the front, yet in their personal life, they're a mess they're not leading it. I mean, there's lots of theories and you can analyze that, well, okay, I leave my work at home. I'm a leader, I have to take responsibility, I'm accountable for people. I have to make right decisions every day of my life. I don't wish to do that in my personal life. I want somebody else to take the personal decision. So there's, there's that element as well. And, and who's, to, who's to argue with them, okay? Mm. Um, but I, I know what you're, you're trying to say. Um, yeah, I am a leader, uh, I would say. Um, what I would say is I'm a leader in my personal life and I'm a leader in my professional life. In my professional life, my direction is set and I know far more what I'm doing in my professional life than <laughs> I do in my personal life. I haven't got a clue. So anybody behind me, you might as well wear, you know, uh, blindfold because you won't know where you're going. Guess what? I don't know where I'm going, but I'm the first person to fall. Yeah. If I hit an obstacle, I won't allow anybody to be led by me and fall. Yeah. Does that make sense to you there? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's a very, uh, you know, an easier question is what's the difference between leading your life and managing your life? I mean, you know, the, the difference between a leader and a manager. Uh, that's very corporate-ish um, and commercial, but uh, it, it's a difficult question. Uh, sometimes the choice of leading our lives is taken away from us. 
Uh, unfortunately, not everybody, Gary, in this world, even in this country, is able to lead the lives that they wish to do. They have responsibilities, they have accountabilities, they have financial concerns, financial limitations, um, love limitations. Uh, it's much easier to lead your life when you're sharing it with a partner than it is when you're a lone wolf. So you've got all of those uh, variables again mm. that uh, intelligently have to be analysed before we can really answer your question. Mm. Uh, but it's worth looking at, at the big picture and all these variables than trying to answer a very simple question that actually is very difficult to answer. Yeah. So. What I thought I would do, because actually what you've said just brought me on um, to where we actually started, um, and I know that we're running out of time to finish this episode, so what I thought I would do is to just round up the episode with a very interesting question for you, Mark, that you probably wouldn't guess that I'm about to ask you. That's two questions in three minutes, Gary, so we started, that I don't know. We started off with talking about professionalism. My question to you, Mark Cops. Yes. When is the right time to be unprofessional in your life? That silence, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> is my brain going round. Okay, just to let you know, you, you, did you hear it? There wasn't, there was nothing, nothing said, but that was my head uh, rocking from side to side now. Um, okay, a little quick trick for you, gentlemen, uh, with a lady. Would you like to repeat that question, please, Gary? Uh, very By the nice. way, that gives me time to think of an answer. Yeah, when Mark taught me presentation skills... Anyway, no, please just technique. say the question again, yeah. Gary. <laughs> so what I would like to know is yeah. to round up this brilliant podcast, which I'm definitely going to listen to a few more times yeah. to, to soak it We're up. nearly over. Um, we are, yeah. Are we? Yeah. When... Oh, okay. I think we should make another date. Well, we should. I mean, what we'll t what I think what we'll do, Mark, is we'll... Uh, We'll let this go out and we'll see what questions because I'm sure people will want to know more and then we can tailor another episode whilst you're here to okay, love the points. But yeah, the question I've got is because obviously, you know, being so professional, there's a time to be professional, mm, but mm, there's a polar, there's a polar opposite mm, of professional, mm, right? Mm, so for the framing of this, mm, let's call it unprofessional. When is the time in your life to be unprofessional? When it has the most impact for you. So um, it's a good question. Um, being unprofessional, uh, is great when you're with other unprofessional people, okay? Because you blend in, if that's what you want to be. Now, when we talk about the word professional, we're not talking about necessarily in our private lives. We're talking, I mean, I, I'm talking about having a job to do, I have a task to be set that I must do for, whether it's pleasure or pain or gain, um, you want to have a professional attitude to achieve that task. Well, to achieve that task, you can be unprofessional in a professional way. Now, don't think that I'm talking a load of rubbish, but there's a, if you look at people like Dick Emery, uh, I mean, uh, Charlie Chaplin. Okay, Charlie Chaplin. Everybody knows Charlie Chaplin, right? He used to walk funny, he used to fall over, he used to slip over a curb. He used to fall over like an idiot, okay? And it was funny. The funny thing is, of course, all of that was professionally done, okay? He was unprofessional in a professional way. Um, if you've got a meeting tomorrow uh, in, at work, uh, you walk in there and, um, you know, make some uh, comment that is out of context for you. As long as it works with the audience, it sounds unprofessional, but actually you've gained their attention. So you're, you're being professional in being unprofessional. Um, it would be very hard for a professional to act unprofessional. 
Mm. It's almost like a, a premiership division footballer trying to act as though he's only an amateur. It's almost impossible. Uh, I think consciously there are techniques of appearing, being perceived to be unprofessional so that you can wow them with your professionalism later. Um, and that's another technique where you know, there are people in this world who pretend they're stupid. Mm. Okay, and they just suck up everything, they listen to everything, and then boom, out they come with a one sentence mm. that absolutely rains on your parade. Mm. And you didn't give, and that, if you understand what I mean. So yeah. uh, there's my answer. Yeah. It covers lots of ground. Uh, bottom line, I don't think a professional can be unprofessional. However, he can use unprofessionalism to, as a technique to become, be perceived professional. So as I started at the beginning of the podcast, I said the one thing that you'll get from Mark is professionalism. Even when he's being unprofessional, he's still being <laughs> professional. Uh, but Mark, it's been great to have you on the show. Uh, I think my takeaways are, you know, the, the difference really between persuasion and manipulation. I love your framing on it. And I think that it's really good for people to listen back to that. Well, to I think I'd, like to, I'd like to add that, Gary. I want to re-emphasize that because yeah. I think you're absolutely right, actually. I think out of all of this, I think those four words, and you just mentioned two, which are very important in your game. Mm. But I, I, I do think your audience should know, I mean, and, and emphasize this, mm. that persuasion and manipulation are only islands in the sea of influence. Be influential first, then you can persuade. Uh, persuasion is mutual benefit. Okay, purity, it's, yeah. it's a win-win for both parties. Manipulation is a win-lose for the other party. And you're holding your tr the truth back. You're, min you're, you're, you're distorting the truth. And you're only a step away from coercion, which is threat. Now, you might not think of it as a threat, but the opposing party. So when you reject it, you think, what did I do? What did I do? Well, mate, you just coerced her. Yeah. Well, mate, you've just put, manipulated her. Well, what do you mean? All I said was this. Well, that's manipulation because she's not interested. And everyone listening to this needs to listen to the words of wisdom here, especially when alcohol can be involved because lines can be blurred. So this is practical wisdom um, mm. for everyone um, on board. So what I'd say is that um, obviously we're going to have Mark again on the show. So in the interim period, if anyone's got any questions, they'd like to ask Mark about influence or persuasion. Also in the next episode, I think we're going to be looking at networking strategies because Mark is an expert in networking. Um, perhaps we'll also touch on CVs or, because Mark's also a very good writer of CVs. Uh, he's done it professionally for a very long time. Uh, and the final thing I want to talk about Mark next time is about traveling. Uh, but I'll leave that as to be a bit of a mystery between now and next time. Uh, in the interim, if anyone wants to get hold of Mark, uh, the best way of doing it is through the Social Attraction website, which is socialattraction.co.uk. Uh, Mark's in the country for the next three weeks. So if anyone wants to take advantage of that, then they can do so. Um, and then other than that, uh, we do get listeners from all around the world. Mark is based in Dubai at the moment, um, but obviously um, that is subject to change. So Mark, thank you very much for being on the show today. Absolutely enjoyed it. It's my pleasure. Yeah, Glad looking, to be here. Yeah, looking forward to the next one. Uh, me too, so me too. Take care.